uh, we are going to look tonight at two verses in the chapter that was read. Uh, so Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So let's read those verses again. Revelation 1, verses 9 and 10. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'll stop there. Uh, these two verses are like an introduction to us. Uh, to this book, uh, we have uh, this aged apostle, uh, John, uh, who wrote the gospel, who wrote the three epistles, and who wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Uh, he is the only one left uh, of uh, the apostles, probably, and he would have been at least into his 80s, if not older. and. Uh, the persecution that uh, killed off uh, Peter and Paul under Nero, uh, that has passed. But another Roman emperor called Domitian uh, in 96, AD 96, he started another wave of fierce persecution. And uh, poor John, who had been the pastor of the church at Ephesus, uh, is uh, put in exile on this. Uh, rough and uh, uh, inhospitable island of Patmos, which, according to uh, uh, the uh, Atlas, is about 40 miles off the coast of Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, where his church, Ephesus, would have been. And it was not that big an island. It was about 10 miles uh, in length, about five miles uh, in width. And it was used by the Roman authorities uh, for political prisoners. And we don't know if it was like uh, an open prison or if John was more confined. But the reason why we're looking at these two verses is that here is uh, a Christian, an elderly Christian, all by himself in terms of not having fellowship uh, with his people. And he is in exile, uh, if you like it. He is in lockdown uh, on this island. And I want to know how he managed, don't you? I, I don't know how you were coping uh, as a believer now uh, with lockdown. Uh, it's not easy, is it, um, if you've got little children? It's not easy either if you're on your own. And it's probably not easy at all if, like John, uh, you are getting on in years. It can be a very frustrating and a very anxious time. But here is a Christian that can teach us much about surviving uh, these kind of conditions. And I think this is a very useful exercise. If you look at a person who's in a worse condition than you, and you find uh, they have found a way of coping, uh, then that can be a great help uh, to myself 
uh, in my position. Uh, here is uh, what um, one commentator said about John. Here is an old man away from home, living on an on uh, inhospitable island, no creature comforts, at least we've got those, but worse, no Christian fellowship. He didn't have Zoom, he didn't have YouTube, he didn't have uh, a telephone. There was no means of contact with other believers and especially with his beloved church in Ephesus. Uh, he, in the very wilderness of his exile, this is what this commentator says, and what struck me, in the very wilderness of his exile, this proved to him to be the gate of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? In this inhospitable, windy, barren place, completely isolated from his uh, spiritual family, uh, he could have been very discouraged. And yet, God turns it into the gates of paradise. And we know why, because he is given uh, a vision uh, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and of what's going to happen. Now, uh, we're not going to look in great detail uh, at uh, some of the prophecies in this book. Uh, but for this evening, I just want to look at two things in those two verses, verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 1, that to me uh, tell me something about how John managed uh, in this exile situation and how we can learn from him in terms of lockdown. And God willing, over the next few Sunday evenings, uh, we'll look then at uh, the rest of this first chapter. So the first thing is John's expectations. John's expectations. Now, this is going to sound strange, uh, so please bear with me. <laughs> John did not have too high an expectation of the Christian life. You know, sometimes if we have great expectations and then the reality of our situation is much lower uh, than our expectation, uh, then we can be bitterly disappointed and often cast down. But John here, from the way he describes himself, tells us that he had very realistic expectations concerning the Christian life. Now, when I say he had low expectations, I do not mean in saying that, that he viewed the Christian life as something ordinary. Oh, not at all. It was something glorious, sublime, divine. But look at the way he describes himself. This is what I mean by low expectations. The first thing is this. I, John, both your brother, your brother. Now, he's writing here to the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor, which are a representation of all the church. And now think who this man is. He's calling himself a fellow brother with all these Christians, and most of them he wouldn't have known. 
he would never have met. Now, who is John? I've already hinted uh, in my introduction. He is one of the 12 apostles. One of the 12 that were chosen by Jesus Christ when he was here on earth uh, to be his followers. John doesn't mention that. I am your brother, he says. Of the 12 apostles, who is John? He is one of the three. Remember the three that were closest to Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ had an innermost circle of disciples. There's nothing unspiritual about an innermost circle, as long as it doesn't become a clique. And they were Peter, James, and John. James and John were two brothers. Uh, Jesus nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder uh, because they often lost their ag. And John was part of that inner circle. They had the immense privilege of being with Jesus in the most uh, profound and spiritual of experiences. Uh, the, the main example, of course, being on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, where they saw the glory of Jesus Christ. So he's one of the three. John doesn't refer to that. All he says is, I am your brother. And even out of the three, I know Jesus chose Peter to be the leader, but who was Jesus, on a human level now, closest friend? Was it not John, the beloved disciple? Was it not John who leaned on Jesus' bosom during the Last Supper? And yet, how does he refer to himself here? No reference to that. He just says, I am your brother. And when we consider by this point, AD 96, Peter is dead, James is dead, uh, the one that later became the leader of the church, the great apostle Paul, is dead. There's only John left of the big guns. And there's no reference to the fact that he is the great John, the apostle. All he says is, John, your brother. Can you see what I mean now when I say he had a low expectation of himself in the Christian life? I think we often get into problems, especially in times like these, which are not normal. If we have too high a view of ourselves, if we uh, think that we're somebody's in Christ church uh, you know we're all on the same level when it comes to uh, the family of jesus christ the church is not a business it's a family it's a glorious family it's the royal family and there is only one who is to be called father and that is god the father there is only one who is savior and that is his son Jesus Christ. Apart from that, everyone else is on the same level. We are brothers, and even Jesus Christ is our elder brother. And you may ask, but what about pastors? What, what about elders? What about deacons? Well, they are offices in the church. Uh, they are places of service. Uh, so the word deacon 
comes from the word diakonos, which means servants. An elder is not to lord it over the flock. He's to lead by example. And a pastor, I don't think a pastor has a position because of his person. It's because of the word that he set apart to open. No, no, we're all brothers. And I think that is very important if we want to survive, not just in a situation of lockdown, but just to survive uh, in uh, general. If we have a low view of ourselves, then uh, we will get through uh, this confusing life. Uh, can, can I give you an example? Uh, many of us consider uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones to have been the greatest preacher in the 20th century. I never had the privilege of hearing him in the flesh, but he did preach in our church uh, every year before my time. <laughs> and I was told by Mary, uh, who's gone to glory now, uh, Mary, uh, John and Mary, uh, who had a farm, and Dr. Lloyd-Jones and his wife stayed with them for their summer holidays many, many uh, years. Well, when Mary, before she got married, first invited Dr. Lloyd-Jones to stay at a farm in Park near Bala uh, at the time, uh, she thought, because he was this great preacher, uh, that he would uh, be expected to... Uh, uh, have his meals in uh, the, the front room and they had uh, servants there and uh, he would be served his food. But, but when he came, he didn't want anything like that. <laughs> he didn't stand on ceremony. He wanted to eat his meals uh, with the family uh, in the back of the house. And I can remember Mary saying to me uh, with a twinkle in her eye, he would be like a little boy. He, he would be looking at her after he'd finished, and he'd be asking, please, can I have some more gravy? There was no sense of greatness there. It's this ordinariness. And I think John uh, would have been somebody like that if we ever uh, get to meet him, as we will. Uh, John, you are brother. Uh, oh, uh, we are brothers together. Brothers. Uh, now, let's look at something else. Uh, in terms of John's expectation. Uh, not only did he see himself as a brother, but look at what he says next. Companion in tribulation and patience. Companion in tribulation and patience. What's that? Uh, another way of putting it is fellow sufferer. I'm your companion in what you're going through. It was a given, you see, to these early Christians that suffering was part of the package. As we say today, they signed up for it. They knew what they were doing when they were believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They knew that the life now that they were living was going to include opposition. And guess what? Nothing has changed. But you will say, we haven't got persecution today. Yes, we have. There is more persecution today in the world than at any other time. We just don't experience much of it in the West. But even here, 
don't we experience some opposition? It may not be physical, but there is emotional and psychological uh, opposition. Now, let me give you some verses. Uh, it's a given, my friend, or should I say my brother, <laughs> that we are companions, not in uh, some uh, entertainment industry. Oh, no, as Tozer entitled one of his books, this world is not a playground. It's a battleground. And we are companions in sufferings. We're brothers in arms. And we are held by the arms of Jesus Christ, the everlasting arms. Let me give you some verses. This is, this, this is not an option, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul went back to some churches that had been founded under his preaching. Only a few months. So people had only been converted a few months. And he wanted to encourage them. The word encourage means strengthen, strengthen one's arms. And what did he do? He said to them, Acts 14.22, it is through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. You can't deny that. Much tribulation. It doesn't matter what those difficulties are. That's, in a way, that's irrelevant. What he's saying is this. There's something in you as a Christian. The light of Jesus Christ has shone in your heart. The world is in darkness. The nominal church is in darkness. And there's going to be conflict, one way or another. And then Paul uh, writes to Timothy, the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And Second Timothy, I think it's chapter 3, all he says is this, if any will live godly. Do you want to live a Christ-like life? I'm sure you do. Listen, there's going to be consequences. If any will live godly, he will suffer persecution. Again, it may not mean physical persecution, but you will receive opposition. And then uh, Jesus' words. In the world, you will have tribulation. We're following the master's footsteps, and we, we will. It's, it's a given. Uh, I, I've been reading um, about Charles Simeon. Uh, John Piper wrote a very helpful paper on Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was the pastor of Trinity Church, Cambridge, uh, for many, many years. I hadn't realized what difficulties Charles Simeon had. Uh, especially in the first 12 years of his ministry, uh, what happened was a number of the parishioners, uh, this was 19th century, so people had their own pews and they could lock the pews. A number of the most influential parishioners, they locked their pews. Uh, they did not want to hear Simeon and they did not want other people to hear him. So they locked their pews for 12 years. And so Simeon, he just carried on preaching, and whoever wanted to hear him had to stand <laughs> in the aisles. Uh, and he just carried on, he just carried on. And then Simeon said to a friend who was going through difficulties, listen to how he puts it, my dear brother, he's like John, you see, my dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking 
of my legs. <laughs> Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted uh, uh, in his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of the victory. The head has gone ahead of us. And now we, the members of his body, are suffering. What a privilege. That's how John viewed himself, a brother, but not just a brother, a companion in the sufferings that are a given in the Christian life. And then there's something else about his expectation. A companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Put all those things together. Uh, this is what one commentator says. If tribulation is our road, rocky road, <laughs> rocky road, if tribulation is our road and the kingdom, heaven, is our destination, then patient endurance is our way of getting there. Isn't that good? Patient endurance is our way of getting there. And that, that, that's how John describes himself. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom. And patience, that means those two things, patient endurance. Patience is passive. It means accepting. In acceptance cometh peace. Endurance is active. It means, like Simeon, for 12 years, carrying on that gumption that just does not give in. How did John do it? How can you and I do it? Uh, well, let me give you an illustration. Uh, I mentioned India this morning. On that first trip to India, we had to travel uh, from Agra, where we went up to the Dalit village, uh, to Varanasi. Uh, we travelled by train. And I'd never travelled by train in India before. Uh, in this country, trains, when they arrive, they do go quite fast. Uh, well, in comparison to India. The trains in India go very slow. And this was an overnight trip. And <laughs> it, it, it was very strange. We were all there on this mission trip. Companions in suffering <laughs> on this train. A number of us had had food poisoning. And we were dehydrated, and so we were in physical pain. Companions in suffering. And then all of a sudden, after getting halfway to look now, the train just stopped in the middle of the night. It wouldn't go any further. And we had to get off the train in Lucknow. And there was no other train provided for us. And here are we in pain and exhausted. And I can just remember flopping down on the platform in Lucknow with rats as my companion. And yet it was okay because we were companions in suffering. We were all brothers and sisters together. And what was keeping us going was we were heading, well, hopefully we were, to that destination of Varanasi, the oldest city in India. And my friends, we are on the gospel train. Uh, that's a famous metaphor, the gospel train. And we are traveling together, uh, even though the way is rough and even though it's going slow. What keeps us going is looking 
to the destination, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are we looking to Jesus? Uh, we can think of John, can't we? On Patmos, looking north towards the shore of Asia Minor. He wouldn't be able to see it 40 miles away. I don't think he would have seen it. But, oh, in his mind, focusing on his beloved church. And we, with the eye of faith, look to Jesus Christ. Do you, do you look forward to seeing him in heaven? Does the thought of heaven keep you going? Uh, as a, a boy, we used to, as a family, travel a lot uh, between South Wales and North Wales. Uh, Sanded no in North Wales. So during the holidays, uh, we would travel uh, on the A49, I think, uh, up through Monmouth, Hereford, Shrewsbury, and then eventually getting to Sandidno. And the stretch that was really long was the one between Hereford and Shrewsbury. It seemed never-ending. And I would always uh, look forward to getting to Shrewsbury because I knew once we were in Shrewsbury, we weren't, well, it was still far, but it didn't seem that far to Sandidno. And oh, that doesn't it seem now that we've passed Shrewsbury in our spiritual journey, as it were, and we haven't got long to go till we get home to heaven. So there we go. Those are just a few things as a first point regarding John's expectation. And then let me hurry on to the second point, because I want to concentrate on certain things here. John's experience. Uh, look at what he says about his experience. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Those two things. It was the Lord's day. Now, this is the first mention in the Bible of the first day of the week as the day of the Lord. And I think there's a significance in that. What, what was John's secret? How was he able to endure? Yes, he had the right expectation of himself and of the Christian life. But I think there is something else here. He kept the Lord's Day. The Jews, they kept the last day of the week as their Sabbath. Uh, that marked God resting after finishing the work of the old creation. But the early church, they changed the last day to the first day of the week. And that became the new Sabbath. And not so much the Sabbath now, but the Lord's Day. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, the Romans, they had a day, one day a week, where they honored their emperor, Caesar, whom they considered divine. Well, the church had uh, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, higher than any human ruler. And so the first day of the week was the Lord's Day. Now then, how can keeping the Lord's Day uh, help me and encourage me? And because when I was growing up, uh, Sunday to me was the worst day of the week. I was forced to go to chapel. We were forced to wear these uncomfortable clothes. We were not allowed to play. Uh, it was a serious day. 
it certainly didn't encourage me. I only began enjoying it when I was converted, when Jesus Christ became real to me. Now then, what is it about the Lord's day? And when we consider that John here could not be in fellowship, he could not be in physical communion with his own church. So ideally, we gather together on the Lord's day. That's an encouragement. Neglect not the gathering of yourselves together. But what happens when we can't do that as in the present time? And I know we've got Zoom and things like that, but the church throughout the centuries has never had those privileges. How have Christians managed in exile, in isolation? What is it about the Lord's day? The Sabbath, the last day of the week, was God resting at the end of the old creation. The first day of the week is about the beginning of the new creation. And what was the beginning of the new creation? It was Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Uh, we got somebody in our church who says to me every Easter Sunday, if we can't rejoice today, I don't know when we can rejoice. Quite right. But you know what? Every Sunday is Easter Sunday, really, isn't it? Listen to this. This is the day the Lord hath made. He calls the hours his own. Let heaven rejoice. Let earth be glad and praise surround the throne. Today he rose and left the dead and Satan's empire fell. Today the saints his triumph spread and all his wonders tell. So even John, who couldn't keep the Lord's Day in the sense of meeting with his brothers and sisters in church in Ephesus, he couldn't have services on Patmos. Yet, I think he was setting time aside and maybe he was yearning, looking northwards, yearning to be with his flock, and yet remembering the glorious victory of Jesus Christ on the cross and the empty tomb and the rising from the dead. Oh, my friends, we are resurrected spiritually, and we will one day be resurrected physically. And praise be to the Lord that on the Lord's day, we celebrate the Lord's victory over our enemies. Isn't it a wonderful day? And some of us, uh, we still have uh, the grave clothes, if you pardon the pen. We've been raised to life like Lazarus, but we still have hang-ups. We still carry the grave clothes. We still think of keeping the Lord's day as a list of not doing certain things. Uh, it took me years. Uh, this was as a young Christian, uh, uh, not to feel guilty about taking my tie off, uh, even as um, a student on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, it's much more glorious than that, uh, the keeping of the Lord's Day. It is about fellowshipping with the Lord and remembering his mighty works. And then uh, I need to hurry up here because this is uh, where I want to end. He was not just on the Lord's Day, was he? He was in the spirits on the Lord's day. Do you know what that means, to be in the spirits? Now, we have the spirit of Christ. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living. He's living 
within my heart. We all have the spirits. But it is possible to have special times when we're in the spirits. Now, John was given a vision here, a special vision. Uh, he was given the word of God, like the prophets of old. We will never have that happen again because we've got the whole canon of scripture now. Uh, John condemns those at the end of this book who add to the word of God. But, and this is an important but, God still gives not revelations, but manifestations of Jesus Christ to his people, not just ministers, but to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Do you know what? It is possible to have an ordinary Lord's Day, and there's nothing wrong with those. We must thank God for the freedom we have to meet, and even now in lockdown, for the way we can still meet electronically. But there are extraordinary Lord's Days, and they are very thin on the ground in the West. But once you've experienced a red-letter Lord's Day, if I can call it that, just a touch of being in the Spirit, you'll never forget it. And you'll long for something similar again. Let, let me just give you a few scriptures. Because just as tribulation was given, I think this was given in the New Testament. They expected times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Jesus' words to the woman at the well of Samaria, worship in spirit as well as in truth. We're very good at the in truth part, but in spirit. And then uh, Act 2, uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. They were given tongues of fire. The people who lived in Jerusalem, they mistook them for being drunk. Now, they weren't drunk, but they were so filled with the Holy Spirit that they were overwhelmed by it. They were still in control, but they were overwhelmed. Now, there's no danger, I think, of people mistaking many Christians in the West today of being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And then you have uh, Peter preaching at Cornelius' house, Acts 10, 44, while still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. There it is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I'm sure Peter would have many ordinary Lord's Days. Even Peter would have had them. But this was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Can I just give you one or two examples from church history? I, I just want to give you these to encourage you. Um, I was um, reading about an American, I think, Presbyterian John Girardier. I'm not pronouncing him right. Douglas Kelly has written about him. 1858, he was leading an evening service, Sunday evening service, at his church in Charleston, North Carolina, when, this is what it means to be in the spirit, when he received the sensation as if a bolt of electricity had struck his head and diffused itself through his whole body. For a little while, he stood speechless under the strange physical feeling. Then he said, the Holy Spirit has come. We will begin preaching tomorrow evening. He closed the service with a hymn, dismissed the congregation, and came down from the pulpit. But no one left the house. The whole congregation had quietly resumed its seats. Instantly, he realized the situation. The Holy Spirit had not only come upon him, 
he had also taken possession of the hearts of the people. He immediately began exhorting them, that's preaching, to accept the gospel. They began to sob softly like the falling of rain, then with deeper emotion to weep bitterly or to rejoice loudly according to their circumstances. It was midnight before he could dismiss his congregation. A noted evangelist from the north who was present said between his sobs to an officer of the church, I never saw it on this fashion. And the meeting went on night and day for eight weeks. That wasn't planned. Suddenly, in a normal Sunday evening service, the spirit took hold of the preacher. He could feel what was happening. And the congregation were taken hold of as well. And he was able to preach with boldness. And people responded. Uh, and it wasn't just people being convicted of sin and falling to the ground, but people rejoicing in a way they had never rejoiced before. Do you think that can happen even in lockdown? The spirit isn't in lockdown. Oh, no. God can still move by his spirits. That's what John experienced. He wasn't in a church meeting. He was on his own. But the spirits came upon him. Let me give you another example. Uh, one thing we are allowed to do is go out for afternoon walks. Well, we can go out any time, but uh, it's the afternoon I tend to go. And I can imagine Jonathan Edwards, uh, another American, very clever man, greatest theologian, I think, um, America produced. In 1737, the century before Gideria, he rode to a wood in order to have time to think and pray. And he said, suddenly, I had a view for me that was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure and sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thoughts and conception, which continued as near as I can judge, about an hour. He wasn't an emotional man, Jonathan Edwards. Great intellect, critical of Whitfield sometimes for his excesses. But he experienced this vision of Jesus Christ. He was in the spirit. I don't know if that was the Lord's day. In a sense, it doesn't matter. It often happens on the Lord's day because that's when God is pleased to meet with his people. Oh. Do you have an expectancy? I know I said in my first point, John had a low expectation of himself. And maybe we have too high a view of ourselves and too low an expectation of what God can do. My friends, if we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to be emptied of self first. Do we have a high expectation of what God can do to a congregation, to an individual? I could give you other examples, but time has gone. Ordinary Christians, like you and me, suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I remember Glyn Morgan of Tregaron telling me about a lady who'd been seeking God as a Christian, now seeking that known and felt presence of Jesus Christ 
And then one day she was walking down Great Darkade Street in Aberystwyth. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure it didn't become a dark street then, but it was full of lights. Oh, may we know what it is, not just to keep the Lord's Day, but may we know, even in lockdown, to know what it is to be in the Spirit. We're going to look in greater detail next time at what John sees in this vision because it's not the spirit the spirit doesn't draw attention to himself he draws attention to christ but i'm just asking at this point do we just expect every service to be the same do we expect our quiet times to be the same day in day out or do we long and sometimes even yearn my soul within me yearneth to hear thy voice divine just for god to break through and for those times when we know that we are in the spirits may god give us grace to be like john in our lockdown situation and may our struggle our frustrations even, and difficulties at this time, be a gate to paradise. For his namesake. Amen.